our processes around vendor banking validations were pretty manual prior to um, the utilization of Apex, which could be anything from collecting banking detail forms from the suppliers um, all the way to even some televerification activities that, that were being done. Welcome to the Ultimate Supplier Management Podcast from Apex Analytics. This is an audio version of a recent webinar we had with Coke Business Solutions to discuss how they are addressing bank account fraud in 2021. We had Ray Swetnam, he is the Supplier Enablement Leader, and Dennis Clausen, he is the Business Transformation Delivery Director at Coke. Barry Cook joined them from Apex Analytics. Since this was a webinar, there are slides available to download in the episode notes. With that, enjoy the show. So here we're, we'll talk now, we'll kind of switch gears a little bit now that we've talked a little bit about Coke Industries overall, and we'll talk a little bit about the journey that Coke and Apex have had over over the years. We started our relationship back in 2009, where we partnered to to do a, a vendor risk analysis. That that in turn led to performing a recovery audit for 13 of the Coke companies in 2014, which which ultimately led to the implementation of First Strike and savings of 125 million dollars in overpayments throughout that time period. KBS was the first to launch the Apex client to be set up with the proxy supplier registration. This is where the proxy supplier registration is is where we are, have the ability to do on behalf of the supplier. And Barry can speak to a little bit more about that as well. We use GAIACT. So kind of where we are today, we're using GAIACT to help us with banking validations. The Apex portal is helping us with supplier registration. And it's being used for not only new suppliers, but we're also looking at how to advance that to move away from just a swivel chair approach to publishing those those uh, supplier details into our ERPs, but further enhancing to where we can drive those details back into our ERP systems automatically. We have started um, looking to enhance the, the, the portal to allow for changes on existing suppliers versus the just new onboarding activities that we have today. And we'll talk a little bit more about why we, we want to leverage the tool to help us through that. And we continue to partner with Apex to help drive us to drive our practice forward, especially around optimizing the bank validation processes. And we'll talk more about that today and the use of Apex Portal and Smart VM. Barry, is there anything else that you would like to add to that? No, I think that's good, right? And I know we'll go over the process flow in a little more detail later, which you know will add some more context behind some of this as well. Yep, absolutely. So two of the contributing factors to why Coke was looking at tools like Apex and ultimately why we landed on Apex overall. We we wanted a, a tool that gave us the ability to support some of the efficiencies around the leading practices workflows for supplier setup and maintenance. So we wanted it to be as efficient as possible, but have effective activities to allow for validation. And then really the, the, the main contributing factor, which we'll talk a little bit about more as well, is really staying out in front of the growing risk around supplier fraud. We, we have, we at Coke have experienced an emerging trend around cybercrime and particularly around supplier payment fraud. Whether you're a CFO or CAO, or even somebody who just manages or analyzes supplier master data, master, master data and supplier payment fraud 
should be a concern of yours and is likely keeping you up at night. The the FBI recently published numbers for cybercrime losses for 2020, and they estimated those are around $4.2 billion, with expectations of exponential growth all the way up to 2025, where we could see anywhere from hundreds of billions of dollars to maybe even to a point where there could be trillions of dollars of losses because of the complexity around the cyber fraud that we're seeing today. We knew that Apex, from our experiences with First Strike, could be a good partner in this space. And we researched different alternatives, but ultimately landed on Apex Analytics because of some of the, the aspects of the portal that meet the needs that we had to help us stay in front of the growing risk around supplier payment fraud. So, Barry, would you go us through the new benchmarking survey around fraud attempts? Yeah. So, this actually supports some of the some of the talking points that Ray was just going through that they've seen at Coke, where we actually did a, a survey in partnership with Shared Service Link last year. Uh, it was sort of based around COVID and the work from home, so the trend for more people work from home. So, we asked how the sort of pandemic and, and having people work from home has influenced fraud. And these are just some of the, the key metrics that we found from that survey. 36 of respondents said they have concerns about risk, fraud, and lack of controls in their current processes. 60% said they had seen an increase in attempts at fraud as the trend of more people working from home. And 44% of them said that they plan to address those fraud risks with business changes and enhancing their internal controls. So, you know, this sort of supports what Coke's seeing, where there is a definitely an increased trend towards fraud attempts and, and companies looking at ways to prevent those fraud attempts as well. With that said, I'm going to actually transition. If you can move to the next slide, we're going to actually just go through the process here. Before, we, before we get there, I want to I want to jump in. We got a great question that's come in. I want to understand from the the Coke guys in particular, and you, and you may not be able, to, you know, because you're you're not publicly traded, you may not be able to answer this, but. Was there in your decision to 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 go to Apex Analytics, and it ties into the survey? Were you seeing similar types of of information in in your own business transaction, or was there like a big watershed event? You know, what was kind of the driver? What finally made you decide? Well, all right, we need to put in some tools and, and process around fraud and risk detection here. And so, I don't know, uh, Ray, Dennis, if either one of y'all can comment on that. Make a comment. Ray has certainly come on board during during the project and as our subject matter expert. But originally, our project was really sponsored by our CFO, and there was things keeping him up at night. Not that we had any huge frauds, but we were certainly having attempts, and the attempts and the sophistication of them were getting more frequent and and more sophisticated. So we really were trying to get ahead of that, and so that we wouldn't have a large event. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I just want to kind of set the context as people are evaluating this, you know, for their own organization. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say just, you know, to, to add to that, not that we've had events, but every, we, we, there have been events. Obviously, we've had payment fraud and a lot of companies either don't know they haven't had it or have really good controls around it and definitely hope they can share some of that information. But as those sophisticated fraud attempts continue to evolve, our, the CFO really wanted to drive this home. And that that's also led to really the development of, of my team overall. And we'll talk a little bit about that and as we get into this a little bit further. But definitely the sophistication of those attempts to uh, infiltrate our, our fraudulent payment activity is, is really the focus area. I appreciate both of y'all with the input on that. Thank you. 
Yeah, and this I just wanted to sort of talk through the supplier onboarding process that suppliers go through here. And we're going to talk more about the specific security controls in a little while, but I'm going to just hit each of these real quickly. But the, the process starts by an authorized user at Coke, in this case, being able to invite that supplier. So that supplier is, okay, they've been approved to do business, and let me invite the supplier. And that's sort of the first control that you're not allowing anybody access. It's uh, an approved supplier. There's an email domain that gets checked and, you know, the right supplier is, is sort of logging in. The supplier then logs in using, you know, some security measures with multi-factor authentication, security questions and various other things. And they actually complete their profile themselves. So they are responsible for completing their address, which is being validated, the tax is being validated and the banking, which we're, we're most interested in today, is also being collected and validated. So we're all, we're also making sure that the business rules are there to capture the right banking. So the first thing is, what does that supplier need to enter? So if it's an international supplier, there are business rules to say it may need a Clave, an IBAN, et cetera, et cetera. If it's a US supplier, obviously the ABA and account number. We're validating those information as they're entered and also sort of enriching that with bank master data elements. For example, as you can validate an ABA number, you can return the SWIFT, the full address of the bank and everything else. So you have the right information that can then feed your ERP. So suppliers are in there controlling that. This mitigates the need for having paper be emailed back and forth. It mitigates the need potentially for callbacks and obviously you're not having confidential proprietary information being exchanged via email which obviously is a bit of a security concern it's all in a secure portal as it goes through the supplier completes their process there's an approval you know workflow that kicks off and this can be as complex or as as, as simple but a minimum you know an accounts payable or supplier management team reviews that information any failures that come up, maybe on a prohibited list, a politically exposed list, you know, maybe a banking address tax, anything like that can be reviewed at that point as well. Once the approver then goes ahead and approves the record, it can then get integrated into SAP or any ERP at that point in time. So the supplier then goes through the workflow. And at that point, it's a bi-directional integration where that vendor number now is created, the vendor number is established, and that attribute supplier comes becomes active. And any future updates, to whether it's new bank, new contact, new address can be done. And that continuous monitoring circle happens there. So it, you can be alerted of things, but also any subsequent changes go through all of those validations as well through the workflows and then that seamless sort of touchless integration into the ERP as well. So that's just an overview of the process that, that we've been talking a little bit about today. And then I just sort of turn it over to, to Ray and Dennis to sort of give some, some commentary on what they've done and how they were sort of able to implement this at Coke as well. Ray, did you want me to talk a little bit about our implementation or was I later in the process here? No, please, please speak to the implementation part. Yeah, just briefly, and this isn't the fun part, so I'll, I'll kind of breeze through it. But, you know, we at Coke, we, were, we did have a core project phase, but we were really thinking about this all along as being a product versus a project. So we wanted to chunk it up and, and knowing that we would be delivering 
functionality and chunks for for a good amount of time and we'd be partnering with apex to to continue to go after more functionality so ray mentioned you know some of our things with wanting to get speed to value we had chunk one which was we were calling it the the proxy portal implementation but we asked apex hey we we don't we're interested in in yet having a vendor onboarding process we just want to use your portal to manually enter data and so that we can manually validate the things we were doing elsewhere using google or irs checks those five or ten things that we were doing manually anyway we wanted to go to apex portal and and manually do them in one spot so we were we worked with they hadn't done that before so they worked with us to kind of enable that for us within within 30 to 60 days probably a little closer to 60 but it was pretty fast and so that process enabled us to it was kind of net neutral as far as the people that were involved in that process where they used to do it manually and other tools they were doing it in apex because there there was no automation we weren't having the vendors input anything but we did get really the improvements in some of the fraud and data, better data right away. So that was chunk one. Chunk two took us six, six months or so, but that was really enabling the, the full portal that Barry talked to. Although we, we implemented a little limited at the time. We, we didn't load our history. We haven't yet. We didn't integrate it with our ERPs. So where we had new vendors, they could come in and onboard themselves or put in their own data that started the validation process. And then we, of course, had our our validation and exception workflows for that data. And so that that increased our controls again and increased, then we did get more efficiency through that. So that six month chunk was kind of chunk two. And then chunk three we're, we're doing now, it's more of another six month chunk where we're loading history and we're gonna start integrating with our ERPs. So that'll, that'll again, tighten up some more controls. So instead of doing swivel chair processes between Apex and our ERPs, you know, we'll have that automated two-way flow that Barry mentioned. But we we did all this really to get speed to value and and start getting the benefits of the controls faster versus trying to do one large waterfall project all at once. And then after chunk three, we've got other chunks in store. But that's really how we approached it as a project. I don't know, Ray, if there's other things you would want to chime in on. No, I think that's good. And I think that's a good summary that really leads into talking a little bit more about how we're supporting those efficient leading practices workflows that you you've described getting that that speed to value when you started with the, the the proxy portal and then moved into a more a more robust environment where we are actually inviting the suppliers based on that workflow that, that Barry showed just a little bit ago some of the key things around this 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 workflow and the and the needs for us to drive that efficient those efficiencies was really trying to help us identify ways that we can push some of the burden back on to the supplier who's wanting to do business with us versus all that burden burden being on the enterprises that we support today. We've added additional controls that help prevent the fraud through automating the banking validation and supplier master data required for those business interactions and, and really focusing around legal name and tax identification numbers, their VAT registration, their their legal addresses, their physical and remit to addresses, and then really really focusing in on the banking piece of this and and validating the banking in a in a manner that's that's automated. Our processes around vendor banking validations were pretty manual prior to the utilization of Apex which could be anything from collecting banking detail forms from the suppliers 
all the way to even some televerification activities that, that were being done. And then, you know, the restricted party screenings and government watch lists are critical for us to, to stay in compliance and making sure that we're doing business with people who we want to do business with was, was very important to us. And then really lastly, but not leastly, is, is the ability for us to capture some of the, the documentations that we are, that we require to do business with, with ours, with our suppliers. <laughs> Getting the W8s and W9 tax documentation and, and ensuring that those are, are captured and retained, as well as some of the other things that we are requiring to, just to help facilitate the efficient, the efficiencies and effectiveness of, of the tool. Because, you know, so suppliers are asked to populate their information and they're, they're not, they're not free from uh, mistakes. Occasionally they will, will fat finger something and, and, and we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll be able to capture that through the validation steps as well as the documentation that they provide us in, in the portal. So just some few things there that, that help us, help us achieve this, this good workflow. And, and kind of to the to the the meat and potatoes for for us here at Coke around why we even went into this you know, the the efficiencies that we we gained from the, the the from Apex I think we undersold that to ourselves previously and, and Dennis can can neither attest to that or, or or agree but I think what we found as we've we've continued to do our valuation is that the value that we achieved from the efficiencies of Apex really was far greater than what we really anticipated. And, you know, Coke overall, before we moved to more of a, a leveraged capability around supplier onboarding and enablement, we had over 400 users who could change or create supplier master data. And that's across all of our major enterprises, GP, Flint Hills Resources, Invista, Coke Business Solutions, et cetera. So that's a lot of people who have the ability to change master data. And it's a lot of people who have the supplier master data as a small piece of their role. And so there could be some some challenges around whether or not they're staying up with fraud trends because it may not be a priority. So we really have, have focused on leveraging Apex to help us drive some efficiencies. We're somewhere around 30 people for the for the companies that, that I support today, which are all but three of Coke's companies. And we continue to find ways to 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 bring more value and 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 reduce that number. Growing risks around supplier fraud was probably the number one reason for using using Apex or going to a tool like Apex. We really wanted to drive home the necessity around putting barriers between our payment activities and the and the fraudsters. And Apex Analytics and and the portal that they have for supplier onboarding really helps us achieve that. It's a multi-tiered security system that has multiple measures that deter those fraudsters. And we'll talk a little bit about more about what those are. But most fraudsters are really looking for quick wins. If you start putting a few barriers in between them and and getting a, a fraudulent payment deposited into their bank account, they're going to move on and find something that's less evasive and something that they can really hit home with without a lot of effort. Again, it's not about their egos. It's just the, it's just the ability to you know, because they don't, they don't want to try to infiltrate these redundant security measures. They just want to, well, they just want to get a quick win and move on to the next quick win. The robust supplier master data processes that are focused on independent banking validation really help us limit who has access to creating and changing master data. 
the leverage capability model helps us achieve that, but also the fact that we're requiring the suppliers to populate their information within the portal really helps us make that more efficient and ensure that we have the right people focused on the right roles. And then ultimately requiring that independent banking validation is a necessity if if we go if we just take what's given to us from a from a bank account number without doing some in, some form of validation on it or even a change request that comes from from a supplier we're we're taking on a lot of risk of making a fraudulent payment and what we're seeing in the marketplace and and what we experience from coke is we're seeing this really a, a lot more around change requests versus new suppliers ten all of the fraud and fraud risk that we've seen is around those uh, the, around those changes. So we want to make sure that we have a tool that help, can help us identify when there are inconsistencies and prevent us from having some of that fraudulent payment activity from occurring. So again, con- continuing the discussion around the uh, the the what we were trying to accomplish by reducing the the fraud risk, the supplier facing portal has multi factor authentication, requires login credentials. We've actually enabled the 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 requirement that if it's a new if it's a vendor that's in Apex and they want to change their banking, they have to go in and change that in the portal. But they also have to know their their banking details that were previously entered into the portal. So somebody just can't hack their account, get their login credentials, and jump into the portal and change their bank account to their personal banking account. They would have to know what the previous bank account was. They would have to know some of the details around uh, around their their questions that they have in 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 the in the portal. But also, anytime that somebody logs in from a different IP address, it requires that multi-factor authentication. So some of those are things that uh, Apex brings to the table was a necessity to help us continue to stay ahead of the growing risks that we see around supplier fraud. Today, we're seeing bank validation as an evolving practice. There are some challenges and some lessons that we've learned along the way to, to help us maybe get to a more optimal state and even a more secure state. GAIACT is a highly indexed in domestic banking, is highly indexed in, a, in domestic banking. So we're an international company. We're a global company. So we can't rely on the automation within, within, within Apex or through the use of GAIACT. But we're also looking at some other opportunities here that will help us continue to automate in this space, not only from an international banking standpoint, but even greater representation from a Guy Act perspective for domestic banking. Some of those challenges around the international banking and even some of the manual validation efforts that are required from a banking standpoint really stem from smaller counterparties that are using smaller banks that don't participate in Guy Act which leads to lower account ownership validation efforts. And that's just because their their banks don't participate with GAIACT overall. We did also notice that counterparties' addresses were also impacting the success rates on some of our banking validations. The reason for this is because sometimes the, the account or number or address that's being used on the bank account details might be a corporate address or something like that. And the supplier that we're actually working with might be a satellite office or satellite location that may have a different physical address. And so those physical address wasn't syncing up with the address on file at the bank. 
but because the 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 guy guy act and the validation aspect takes into consideration more than just the address takes into consideration the tax id the the account number some of the fraudulent activities that whether there have been fraudulent activities on the account or not helped us get a lot more comfortable with the the banking validation piece overall apex continues to lead improvements in some of the previous over our previous state all of our domestic banking that, that we were manually validating, we're now able to automate a significant portion of that. All of our tax IDs, we're able to validate somewhere around 95 to 99% of tax IDs. And of those that we're not able to validate, it's usually because of an issue that the supplier has, whether they're, they've gone through and started changing or have a new tax identification number or, or things like that, that, that really drive that. But we have a real, really high success rate, both on the tax ID and address validation, as well as the restricted party listings and government watch lists. We even did a, a, a period of time where we were comparing between Livingston and some of the other restricted party tools that are available just to make sure that we're having some of the consistent results between between the, the systems. And we're actually seeing a lot of really good things from, from Apex in this space. As I mentioned earlier, process and resource efficiency gains. We've been able to do more with less because we're constantly asked to do more with less as as we continue to drive for value, we've got to find technological advances to help us drive improvement initiatives and help us bring additional value to the to the company by deploying resources to other areas to create greater value. Apex gives us the ability to do that. They helped us improve automated banking validation scores and will continue to help us in that space by leveraging Smart VM. We're also having conversations with other other companies to help us solve similar opportunities or challenges that we have collectively. And we continue to discuss and focus on growth as, as a mutually benefit, mutual beneficial relationship between us and Apex. Some areas that we're really focusing on is around those continued discussions is really further integration opportunities between Apex and our ERP systems at Coke, Coke and Coke Business Solutions. We support multiple large companies who have very different and diverse ERP systems. And the Apex tool gives us an opportunity to find ways to integrate with all of those ERP systems and have a standalone process to be able to onboard and continuously monitor supplier master data changes. And then ultimately, we continue to partner across Apex as well as with some of their their other business partners in optimizing the end user experience. How can we continue to make the portal as as a, as efficient for our suppliers as as we can, and still get information that we need as a as a company to transact with those suppliers? So, how did we get to banking validation best practices? Well, as, a, as an enterprise, we were forced to collect and populate all master data documentation manually. And I'm sure many of you on, on this session today have done that in the past as well. Some of the enterprises were collecting this information. It was being passed back and forth through email. A lot of people involved, a lot of back and forth, a lot of waste that was that was being generated by doing by doing this it was 100% manual from a validation standpoint it was very time consuming we had we had people who were going out to multiple websites performing a lot of the restricted party screenings they were doing tax validations they were doing televerifications for 
for the banking or maybe even just collecting some of the documents and forms to help with the banking validation activities. And we were we weren't happy with that. We want we saw or had a vision for a better state where there's a lot of automation, technology was used to help us achieve the same thing that we were achieving manually, but then also it could be more efficient as well as more a more robust control. Where we are at today, we have this supplier-facing portal because we've partnered with Apex Analytics, and we're able to drive home the improvement around onboarding and by capturing the documentation from the supplier. Where the suppliers are asked to provide their information, we're not providing their information on their behalf, but we 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 allow them to interact with us through the portal, collect their documentation collect their transaction details that we need to to transact with them. And then we're able to achieve independent validation efforts, not only by utilization of the portal, but also understanding and staying connected to leading trends around banking validation best practices. And where are we going as, a, as an organization and as a partnership with Apex? We're currently working on some a pretty large ERP integration for Georgia-Pacific, where the supplier-facing portal is not only going to be the collection of new supplier information, but we're also going to be loading and in the process of loading existing supplier information so that we can run through the validations and then turn over the login credentials to the suppliers to allow them to manage their master data on their behalf instead of us trying to to manage that internally. And then overall, improving the banking validation automation, continuing to leverage tools like SmartVM and, and, and other measures to help us continue to improve the banking validation because we would like to be at a state where we can get anywhere from 80 to 100% of automation in the banking banking approval and validation platform. So Barry, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. So before we get into the Q&A section of it, I just sort of wanted to go over the payment or the protections and the fraud prevention measures that are already in place. And a lot of these have been talked about up to this point in time, but this sort of consolidates them into sort of one slide. But there are two main types of fraud prevention when it comes to supply maintenance and specifically banking. One is around user authentication. So the key is making sure that the right suppliers are in the or the right supplier contacts are in the system and only allowing those invited contacts into the system, but also enabling multi-factor authentication and security questions, which, again, um, help against compromised email addresses and hacking and things of that nature. In addition to sort of that level of user authentication, validating email domains, validating those email domains, accept emails is important as well. And then finally, when it comes to user authentication, just tracking activity and changes. One, we're able to keep track the activity, meaning who logged in, when they logged in, what IP address did they log in, what was the before and after value in the audit logs. And then based on that, that same sort of audit log, you know, you can track the IP address. Was it from a suspicious IP address? Do we need to block a specific IP range from people coming in? Can we, do we need to provide alerts to our, our clients about suspicious activities? Has there been multiple changes within a month? So some of those business rules can be configured, you know, based on 
each client's risk tolerance. But there's some other things that when it comes to users, you want to track, you know, is the right user in? How often has that supplier logged in? How often have they changed? Because obviously, frequent changes is a red flag. And then the second part of fraud prevention is is the data itself. So one is the user good, but then is the data validation good? And that falls into sort of three buckets. One is bank account changes, because most fraud, as Ray was talking about earlier, is usually on changes and not so much on new suppliers. So, you know, as a, as a supplier, I want to come in and say, okay, let me change it to my bank details. And some of the things that we do to prevent that is one, obviously mask the sensitive field. So the, the data once it's approved is masked and not able to see. And then in relation to that, you have to know what the old bank account is before you change it to the new one. So as Ray was saying, as a supplier, let's say, worst case scenario, I, I compromised and hacked and, and, and done some things. And, you know, fortunately, the security questions would, should prevent that. But let's say somehow they have, you know, I probably don't know what the existing bank account number is because it's masked. So as a fraudster, I'm going to move on to an easier target because I don't know how I, I have to type in the exact existing bank account to change it to the new one that needs to be changed. And then obviously there's approval flows and various things that go with that. Um, just some other, you know, data validation on changes. If, if the supplier country is different from the bank country, that's usually a red flag as well. And we can trigger notifications and things of that nature. And then don't allow any changes from emails or phones or various other things. So always ensure that suppliers logging in directly, never sort of do updates through a phone or email as well. So that's just some things that can be helped from a change perspective. The next thing is the bank account data perspective. So obviously, you know, we can validate the IBAN, the ABA, the SWIFT, the Clave, the Zengen, and, and various other attributes of the bank. But your bank account ownership is, and I know it's not going to cover 100% of your suppliers, but doing that legal entity match, is the actual account good, but is the name good? So that bank account ownership is a key step where we can integrate into the early warning services and other services to be able to do that bank account ownership. And that also checks not just the ownership, is the bank in good standing, was the type of account as well. And then finally, one last thing that we've been growing recently is the sort of global network intelligence. So because the nature of our business and the fact that we have, I think, um, coming up, you know, over 4 million suppliers in our supply portal, you know, we have a good sense uh, in our in our database of suppliers internationally as well. So we can actually have our own scoring system. So we've developed our own algorithm that basically allows us to say, okay, does this bank account exist with other clients? How often have they paid it? When was it changed? When was it updated? How many other clients are using that same account number? Is the country the same? And we have an algorithm that we've developed that sort of supports some international and some of those other ones that maybe a an early warning doesn't cover and, and be able to sort of provide a score to our clients to help cover some of those, those gaps. Not all of them, but some of those gaps around international suppliers and, and US suppliers that are not part of that network to again provide a confidence score to our clients. And again, they they can use that and depending on their risk tolerance, they can combine that with other attributes. They may say that's an auto approve, that's a reach out to the supplier. That's depending on obviously 
each client's risk tolerance. But you know, those three things combined have really helped us you know, try and consolidate into one solution and help our clients protect against payment fraud. So with that said, I, I guess we can turn it over to the, uh, the Q&A section. Fantastic. I'll, uh, I'll jump back in. And Ray, Dennis, Barry, thanks to all three of you. This has been, been a great conversation. It's been, it's been fun to listen to. I know I can think back to my time as, a, as an SAP customer and some of the challenges we had with fraud detection or fraud prevention. And to hear some of the solutions you talked about today is, is very refreshing to see that things are, are being worked on to, to make that life easier to manage. We've got some great questions from the audience. I want to start with one that's actually to me. The, uh, the slides for today's presentation will be available after this session. So you'll receive an email after the session with, uh, with a link to the on-demand content as well as the deck. So please take, take advantage of that. Also, if you've got questions, we've got a few on the list here. I want to try and get through as many as we can, but don't hesitate to ask your questions. Let's start with, I'm going to ask this really to maybe start with you, Barry. Is there a way that companies can come together and help address supplier risk issue by sharing strategies, information, you know, things that they've seen? What, what would that look like? How would you describe sort of a perfect world of, of, of fraud detection and fraud prevention? Well, I think you may be on mute. Yes, yeah, nice. some of that is, I think, what we want to take away from this. And I know the slide there is sort of to, to come up with a, whether that's an informal or a more formal user group to sort of really discuss that, discuss challenges that people are facing. And I know Ray and, and Dennis are looking to sort of, obviously spearhead that necessarily, but sort of help in that, create that user group and really have a, whether that's a, a weekly meeting, a bi-weekly meeting, a forum to, to really get people's experience because a lot of times fraud happens and people don't want to talk about it, right? They want, uh, they, but, you know, I think the more we talk about it, the more we can help each other in sort of preventing it as people become more and more sophisticated. I don't know whether Ray and Dennis want to add anything to that. No, I would I would say I would I would completely agree with that. I think, you know, from our perspective, we believe the best way to to get to an optimized situation is to build a community of practice around banking validations. As you mentioned, whether it's because it's an, it's embarrassing that we were taken advantage of and we don't want to get that out there. But also the fact that, you know, there's not a lot of white papers that are published on this topic because a lot of cases we don't want to inform the fraudsters around how, how we are, how we're preventing them from infiltrating our systems and, and tools that we have in place. But I think it's still important for us to figure out a way that where we can come together and share some of these things in a community of practice. No, it's a great point from both of y'all, right? That this is one of those things that the, the more you communicate how you're stopping it, the harder it is to stop, right? So you have to be careful of the audience when you have those conversations. So another kind of similar question, right? So, and we touched on this at the beginning when we talked about the survey that y'all have done. What are some of the signs that either that you specifically at, uh, at Coke have seen or, or Barry, maybe you can just talk in the industry wide, that, that supplier bank account fraud is increasing? And also kind of a companion question, why is it that there is not a silver bullet to fix all this, right? I mean, it's kind of a loaded question, but maybe start with you, Barry, and then, uh, and then jump over to uh, to Ray and Dennis. Yeah, so I think usually it's sort of the, the path of, of least resistance we see take. So, I mean, I've worked in accounts payable in previous roles, and it was always mass emails, mass 
faxes and, and back back then and so on and and that piece most people are catching those now right you know with the letterheads and the email slightly spelt wrong so they're getting more and more sophisticated but still a lot of it is through manual processes so i think we've we've we hear stuff and um about a lot of manual processes obviously with an automated process we, we've heard about attempts right and that is really had some things of IP addresses where people have been in in countries that you know you would not expect that supplier to log on, so we would immediately be able to catch it. Where in an email mass email campaign, you obviously can't catch those things because they may be sending it to a thousand people at one time. So you know we've seen some be caught. What I haven't had a good line of sight into is you know how many manual processes are still happening because you know that that's something I don't really have a good view into. But I'll let. Let um, Ray and Dennis talk about that. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Barry. I would, I would say, you know, some of the signs that that we know that supplier banking fraud is on the increase is because we're experiencing it, experiencing it being on the increase. Great example in, in back in, in October, my team had four different cases that had come across our team from a validation standpoint that we were able to stop fraud from occurring. These, these fraudsters continue to get more and more sophisticated. They're infiltrating our suppliers' email addresses, hacking into their systems, and actually responding to us, asking us to change the banking details on behalf of the supplier. For And they're using their supplier's email address to do so. There have been instances where there was about – it was around somewhere around – $15 million in payment fraud prevention that happened from uh, from us back in June because we were able to thwart the activity of, of the banking validation change. What I will tell you, though, every single instance of those fraud attempts that we had come across our desk, all of them were email and email traffic. The one that was around $15 million that we prevented, it started as an email communication. And then some of the prevention efforts that we had in place had had that had that activity had that fail, but then when we went back to the to the business to share with them that the fraud that that fraud attempt had occurred, we at the time we didn't know it was a fraud attempt. We just were unable to confirm the banking. We gave that uh, the fraudster more information than we really should have, and they were able to call back using phone masking technology and portray themselves as the person that we had talked to who didn't give us the right bank account information based on what the fraudster was trying to to accomplish. We were fortunate enough to prevent that from happening and for, prevent that fraud payment from occurring because of some more robust activity that we have in place, but it was it was close. And so, that that's this is why we're we're concerned and why we think there's an increase around this is because because one we're seeing it and two the FBI will tell you that it's one of the hardest areas for them to crack down on and and that's why we're seeing it continue to grow and even organized crime syndicates are starting to jump into this because it's so lucrative and requires little to no effort on their behalf because all they have to do is try to social engineer a payment request change and update banking. And next thing you know, they've got money coming in there to the, an account where they can bounce it around everywhere. So we're seeing it. It's, it's, it's real. It continues to grow a lot of work from home activities that we have collectively because of the pandemic that we're in makes it more difficult to get a hold of suppliers to do televerifications and things like that. And our frauds, the fraudsters that we're up against know that. Interesting. Thank you for that. That's uh 
again, back to the comment earlier, right? The, the, the more they know, the more the easier it is for their job and, and the harder it is for us to do our jobs to prevent it, right? So having to find that balance is tricky. Barry, I want to go back to you. You, you brought up something, you know, as we were talking about Guy Act and, and it's focused mostly on American banks. A lot of the companies, including Coke, that are that are on the session today are international companies. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about maybe GAIAC type services outside of the U.S. or, you know, you mentioned the confidence score that you're able to produce as uh, Apex Analytics to help us understand how to how to be able to get some level of protection outside of the U.S. banking system. Yeah. So we actually, and that's why we developed our own, because there is not a sort of source that, that we could find that's developing in the UK and other places. But that's exactly what we did, because we have all of, we have many, many global clients, as you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, and having access to, to some of that information allows us to say, hey, 17 other clients are using this account and it's been paid in the last two weeks and not updated in two years ago, we have that as a very high score. So we can then say, okay, we have confidence that that bank account in the UK or, or Brazil or wherever is is the right one to make that payment. So that's one of the reasons we've been able to develop that because it is a need and we couldn't find anybody else who, who could sort of provide that need. So we developed our own solution to that problem. And a similar question, and Ray had mentioned this at one point, to be able to get some additional information about the the partner, whether they're on you know a protected list or if they're in a particular business category, you know, maybe they're women owned or minority owned, and that affects, you know, kind of maybe there's buying decisions I have to make around that. Is that information that that you're able to provide through that portal or is that something it's are, are there other services I can connect to through Apex Analytics to get that sort of information to to, to increase the, the the quality of my master data around that, that account? Yeah, I know we talked a lot about bank, but yeah, things like appending diversity certifications, NAICS, standard industry codes, even contacts and things are something we're able to to do as well. So there's a lot more to it than banking. You know, we're focused on banking today, but, you know, even like you talk about the prohibited list and politically exposed, both at the supplier name, bank account name and contact name, you know, provides, again, some risk mitigation layered on top of the banking because you want to screen that the bank name is not on a you know an OFAC list or, or any other global list as well as the supplier name as well. So there are some things that just that those we have built in automatically as well. Fantastic. I was, uh, we've got a couple of the questions, but I'm looking at the clock and I want to make sure that we're able to kind of close up here uh, and respect everybody's time at the top of the hour. Just real quick, kind of a lightning round around the room. You know, what's the one key takeaway? And, and we can start with you, Barry. What's the one key, key, key takeaway you think the audience should take from today's session? I think it's just sort of to 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 think about hey you may think you have the best controls but you know the best frauds is the ones that you don't know about as well so really you know look at your internal controls and say is there ways to improve them fantastic and, as, and before I jump over to you Ray and Dennis I've I just popped up a question for the audience if you would take a minute and provide some feedback to us around you know kind of some more information areas that you'd like to see additional content around as we talk about fraud protection but uh, back to you Ray what would be kind of the one key takeaway. You know, if you were on the other side of the microphone, what's what's the thing you'd want to make sure you remember? That the the one thing that I would want to remember is that the fraud is is happening. It's it's out there. It's something that we definitely have to be on the lookout for, and we should find efficient and effective ways to do that. And there are tools out there, and Apex is a is a great tool to help a process that is 
normal normalized for every company that that is likely on this call that can help them make their processes around supplier onboarding and master data management more efficient and more effective from a validation standpoint because as as Barry mentioned you may think you have the best controls around it but do you have all the technology employed to help you facilitate that awesome and Dennis let's give you last last word yeah you know my role is more focused on digital transformation and I think that what we've done with partnering with Apex and improving our supplier onboarding processes is really helping to enable not only a more efficient process, but getting better quality data and better integration across our systems that allow us automation and a better customer supplier experience. Mm-hmm.